Everybody loves the touchdown. Throws to the back of the end zone, and it is caught for a touchdown by Holmes. The grand slam. Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam. The buzzer beater. Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. Yes! But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? Each week, we dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio. Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In our next segment, it's the Sports Business Radio Headlines of the Week. More games canceled in the NBA, we'll discuss. In segment three, our friend Rand Gatlin from Yahoo Sports will join us. Some recent changes with NCAA rules and regulations and how athletes are compensated. We'll talk to Rand Gatlin about that in segment three. In segment four, we'll catch up with our friend Sam Amick from SI.com, SportsIllustrated.com, also NBAConfidential.com. We'll bring you the latest from the NBA lockout tables. Doesn't look good, but, uh, you know, who knows? Things could change, and uh, we'll get the latest from Sam Amick in segment four. Visit my sports business blog. Download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to SportsBusinessRadio.com. Become our Facebook friend. Follow me on Twitter. You can find those links at sportsbusinessradio.com. My handle on Twitter is at SBRadio. Want to say a special hello to Jeff Massey, who listens to our show every week via podcast in Ireland. I was telling him this week that, uh, boy, that's one of my bucket list items, Griggs, is to get to Ireland. I want to go play some golf there, and uh, I'd love to visit the great land of Ireland someday. I agree. That'd be awesome. Uh, I heard it's just absolutely gorgeous and uh, lots to do, and I I love listening to the people talk over there. And they've got some of the greatest golfers in the world that play (laughs) over there. So uh, the St. Louis Cardinals, world champions. Tony La Russa retires. All kinds of headlines coming up next around Major League Baseball and the St. Louis Cardinals and even the Los Angeles Dodgers. Could that saga be coming to a conclusion in the near future? Sports Business Radio headlines coming up. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is SBR. Back with more after this. It's the age of new media and citizen journalism. Everyone with a smartphone and a flip cam is a reporter and everything is on the record. I'm Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, and I team with former Nike executive Lee Weinstein to form media training company Everything is on the Record. With a combined 40 years of experience dealing with the media and helping our clients craft authentic messages, we'll help you navigate the tricky media landscape that exists today. Everything is on the Record has provided media training to pro and college athletes, coaches and executives, as well as to government leaders and CEOs. We'll teach you how to break through the clutter with your messages and we'll also assist you when you find yourself in crises. It's time for an innovative new approach to media training that best fits the world we live in today. For more information about Everything is on the Record, visit us online at everythingisontherecord.com. Contact us today to learn more about our innovative approach to media training and how we can meet your specific needs. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. 
It's time, baby. Special news bulletin. At Sports Business Radio, we're always on top of what's happening in the world of sports. And each week, we break down the stories you need to know about. This is Headlines. I want to be in the headlines. On Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. Headline number one, the St. Louis Cardinals. The same St. Louis Cardinals who were ten and a half games out of the wild card with a month to go in the season. Griggs, they won it all. They won the World Championship Major League Baseball. It went to seven games, and, you know, we talked earlier in the series, because this wasn't the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Mets, the Cubs, Fox needed a compelling World Series, and they got it. Every game was pretty competitive. Even the game that wasn't that featured Albert Pujols' three home runs was historic and high scoring. The numbers, Fox finished with a 10.0 final Nielsen rating. They averaged 16.6 million viewers for the seven-game series between the Cardinals and the Rangers. That's up 19% from last year's five-game series with the Giants and the Rangers. Game 7, which saw the Cardinals win their 11th World Series title, Average 25.4 million viewers on Fox. That figure makes it the most watched baseball game since 2004 when the Boston Red Sox won the World Series, erasing a drought of 86 years. So big ratings for Game 7. Really good ratings, especially compared to last year for Fox with Cardinals Rangers. Uh, I think it's a good success for Major League Baseball and Fox, a World Series to be proud of. Yeah, it definitely is. And it was just a fun series to watch because uh, you never knew what was going to happen. It was very offensive. You know, there was a lot of offense, lots of comebacks. Other than, I think, one game, the score was, you know, 5, 6, 7, 8, 10, 16 runs. So you knew tuning in, you're going to see a lot of hits. You're going to see a lot of plays. There was a lot of errors and fielding errors and weird type things. So it was a fun series to tune. I enjoyed the, every game of them. Well, and you had two games in this series that are instant classics for World Series history. For the years to come, one was the Albert Pujols three-home run game. He joins Babe Ruth and Reggie Jackson as the only players to hit three home runs in a World Series game. And then that epic Game 6 that went back and forth and went into extra innings and featured David Freeze's walk-off home run. David Freeze becomes the MVP of not only the uh, NLCS, but then also the World Series. One of the rare guys to do that. It'll be interesting to see. Here's a St. Louis kid. Are there marketing opportunities for him, especially in St. Louis, but maybe even nationally, because his profile has now raised because of his MVP performance, Griggs? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see too as he pushes into next season, is if he can carry this, you know, this flight going and keep, you know, become one of the stars of, of baseball because of this. You never know. Our next headline also centering around the St. Louis Cardinals. It will be interesting to see what they do in the future. Tony La Russa, just days after the Cardinals won the World Series, retired after 33 years as a manager in Major League Baseball. He won three world championships. He was manager of the year four times. I think he's a Hall of Famer for sure. But how is his departure going to affect the Cardinals going forward, specifically when it comes to resigning Albert Pujols, who we saw what he did in the postseason, was fantastic. But before this past season, he wanted a 10-year, $300 million deal going into the season. They didn't get that done. Now, will Pujols stay in St. Louis with the new manager? That's going to be interesting to watch. It will be. And, uh, you know, Tony has such a seems like such a handle on that team, too. He just seems just so 
focused and, and mentally just ready to do what he needs to do on that team. So it will be interesting to see what happens going forward with uh, the loss of him. You know, I think he goes out with class and style. I think it's a great way to go out. I think a lot of people in, in sports could learn, hey, you know, you win the championship, you've done your deed, you know, he's won others, but why not go out? I mean, what a great series to go out at. You go out on top, right? Yeah, phenomenal. I mean, we've seen guys, Michael Jordan, Sugar Ray Leonard, who I asked this very question a few weeks ago when he was on this show, Guys who stick around a little too long and they taint their legacy a little bit and you wish they'd go out on top like a John Elway, like a Johnny Carson. And I think Tony La Russa holds his head high, leaves as a champion. 33 years is a long time, but where will the chips fall in St. Louis? Reports are that they're going to take about 10 days to interview candidates amongst the candidates they'll interview. Terry Francona, former manager of the Boston Red Sox. Also, Ryan Sandberg, who has been a minor league manager and is a Hall of Famer when he played for the Chicago Cubs. I think he deserves a crack at being a Major League Baseball manager at some point. Our next headline, Frank McCourt finally agrees to sell the Los Angeles Dodgers. They'll be sold via a bankruptcy auction, much like the Texas Rangers were when Nolan Ryan outbid Mark Cuban. Remember that auction? It went into the wee hours of the morning. They were ordering pizza. I mean, that process took forever in a day. But at least for Dodger fans, we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. And there are a lot of different parties involved. Mark Cuban reportedly approached Frank McCourt in August about buying the team. McCourt wanted $1.2 billion for the Dodgers and Dodger Stadium and the land around the stadium. Keep in mind, McCourt paid $421 million to buy it in 2004, and Cuban reportedly has said he will not go above a billion dollars. We'll see. This will be an auction now, so Cuban will probably be involved. Oral Hershiser and Steve Garvey, former Dodger greats, have formed a group to potentially buy the team. Even Peter O'Malley, whose family owned the Dodgers for 50 years, wants to get back into ownership and would love to repurchase the Dodgers at a a much higher price tag, Greg. So this is going to be some high drama in a bankruptcy court. Who's going to wind up with control of the Dodgers? You've got McCourt, who's got all kinds of debt here. He owes $130 million to his ex-wife, Jamie. He owes $21 million to Manny Ramirez. $11 million to Andrew Jones. These are guys that aren't even in Major League Baseball anymore. He even owes Vin Scully, the voice of the Dodgers, $153,000. So he's got a list of creditors a mile long, not to mention legal fees coming out the wazoo. And this will be interesting to see how it all falls into place. It's the soap opera that just never ends. It's the the train that goes up and down the hill, up and down the hill, and it just keeps circling back around. And You know, personally, I think I love Mark Cuban involved, a possible buyer, or Hersheiser, great one, too. Uh, Mark Cuban would be funny if he actually owned a baseball team, because who knows, he's going to go out there and throw pitches with his players, and you know, like he does for the Mavericks out there shooting right. in the warm-ups. I think he would be fun for baseball because people seem to like him and you know kind of get around him and I think it'd be good, cool for him but yeah it's it's just a soap opera I mean who knows what's going to end up who's who's going to end up with the Dodgers I think Mark Cuban is one of the top 5 owners in all of sports I think he'd be fantastic for the Dodgers he said he needs to get it done at the right price the big challenge for Cuban to date he tried to get the Cubs he tried to get the Rangers the owners of Major League Baseball are not big fans of Mark Cuban If you've ever been around Major League Baseball owners, it's kind of the good old boys network. 
And Cuban is kind of this new breed of owner that comes in with ideas and energy and excitement. And some of them, quite frankly, I think are jealous of Mark Cuban. So would they let him into that fraternity? That would be the question. Our next headline, Brian Cashman signs an extension with the Yankees, which is big news. We've seen Theo Epstein leave for the Cubs. We've seen Jed Hoyer from the Padres go to the Cubs. It's been musical chairs amongst baseball executives. Brian Cashman stays put with the Yankees, signs a three-year extension. That gives them some stability. First thing he does, Griggs, is he signs CC Sabathia to an extension, five years, $122 million. If you're keeping track, CC Sabathia in current, past, future earnings, $268 million. It's good to be a left-handed pitcher in Major League Baseball. That's why they're at the top. They get that stability. They sign the players they need to sign. Uh, they have the money to do it. And that's why they're always, they're always in the running at the end of the season. I personally think it's a bad signing. I like CC Sabathia. I think it's real risky with pitchers. Uh, the Mets still owe Johan Santana a ton of money, and he hasn't even pitched for them in most of the last two years. So you give pitchers big money more times than not. If it's a long-term deal, the end of the contract, it doesn't work out very well. The Cubs, more Major League Baseball news, fired Mike Quade after one year as manager. They've said Ryan Sandberg will not be a candidate, which I think is a big mistake. Theo Epstein is looking for someone with managerial experience at the major league level. Some people have mentioned Terry Francona. Could Francona and Epstein be reunited in Chicago? I think Francona comes with a a hefty price tag. Um, I'm not sure Cubs ownership wants to pay that hefty price tag. So we'll see. Will this be a situation where someone gets their first crack? If you're going to go that route, I think Sandberg is as good as anyone, but it doesn't look like that's going to be the case. Our next headline, the NBA levies its biggest fine yet for an owner or executive speaking out during the NBA lockout. It's Miami Heat owner Mickey Arison, who sent out a series of tweets in the last week, one in response to a fan who was ripping into Arison saying NBA owners don't care about the fans, Arison replied, you're barking at the wrong owner, implying that there may be some dissension with the owners. He's not on the same page as some other owners. So David Stern, at the behest of several other NBA owners, threw a big fine Mickey Arison's way, $500,000. Arison's also tweeted out about, uh, I'd rather be eating a hamburger on Carnival Cruise Lines during NBA labor meetings. So Arison's been uh, pretty interesting to follow on Twitter. If you don't follow him, uh, you might want to follow him now, Griggs. <laughs> Man, and at 500000 that's not, not, the, not a good time to get that kind of fine right now when you're not playing basketball. And, you know, I'm amazed... And I kind of think you might see a little bit more of this stuff going on. Maybe the final kind of warn people, but you know guys are getting restless. You know players are getting restless. You know owners are getting restless. And the longer this draws on, you can see that this kind of stuff might start happening a little bit more. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And we know games are canceled through November 30th, and there's a very unlikely chance there's going to be an 82-game season. There may be no season at all. We'll get the latest from the NBA bargaining tables with Sam Amick, our correspondent from SportsIllustrated.com. He's their NBA insider coming up in segment four. Last headline of the week, Alabama LSU here in the United States. Big, big college football game. Griggs, it's at BCS levels. Usually Alabama credentials 325 media people for a home game. For this game, they're going to credential in excess of 600 media people. They've actually had to uh, build some temporary media seating for this. It really is national championship level 
kind of coverage for this game. And this is where CBS is very happy to have SEC uh, football because they're gonna that's gonna be the game everybody's gonna be watching across the country, and it should be a good great game. Uh, Saban twenty five and one at home. Uh, against ranked teams or something. I saw a stat like that. I mean, he's got an amazing record at home. So it'll be interesting to see how uh, LSU, who I think I think has an edge on their defense, we'll see if they can come in there and take care of them. I'm going to take Alabama. I have picked on my local show in Portland, Oregon, Alabama and Stanford for the national championship. Mm. I picked that about a month ago, month and a half ago. I like that. We'll see. You know, obviously Alabama LSU winner has the fast track to the national championship game. We'll see how that turns out. Coming up next, it's Rand Gatlin from Yahoo Sports. He'll give us some updates on some changes in the NCAA this past week. Then in segment four, it's Sam Amick from SportsIllustrated.com. Our NBA insider will get the latest on the NBA lockout. I'm Brian Berger, and you're listening to Sports Business Radio. Stay in touch with SBR on Twitter, twitter.com slash SBRadio. Parking lot, and all I did was say hello. Her pepper spray made it rather hard for me to walk her home. But I guess that's the way. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bull Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, uh, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. All right, let's go to the phone lines right now. Let's go to Rand Gatlin from Yahoo Sports. Rand, thanks for joining me. Brian, thanks for having me. So last week, the board of directors of the NCAA got together. There were some changes that were implemented coming out of that meeting. Give us some of the highlights regarding those changes. Well, the one that I thought was most interesting and and the one that has really caught my attention is uh, they, under some significant pressure, uh, the board of directors has decided to offer up to uh, $2,000 to student-athletes uh, above and beyond that which they're being provided right now. That is in direct response to an organization called the National Collegiate Players Association, or NCPA, uh, basically putting out studies, and they put out a few, but uh, the most cogent point they made was student-athletes at these universities are actually operating at uh, roughly, I believe, a $3,200 deficit when they're being told they're being provided with a full ride. So a common misconception is that a full ride means everything is paid for when, in fact, NCPA uh, proved through this research, and I believe they joined with Drexel, research, uh, Drexel University to put this out, was that actually each of these kids is averaging $3,200 less per year in their aid than they need to survive. So when you've got often uh, impoverished kids, kids from uh, you know the lower end of the socioeconomic spectrum coming into school, on a quotes around it full ride, and in fact they're responsible for coming up with $3,200 during the year, 
uh, may not sound like much to to some, uh, especially folks in middle and upper classes. But uh, you know, to somebody who is making twenty four thousand dollars a year, the mother of one of these children is twenty five thousand dollars a year. That's a significant number to uh, to be able to pull out. So, you know, that's what it was. And and we can get into it. But obviously, I've got some pretty strong thoughts about uh, them being at a thirty two hundred dollar loss and the board of directors saying, "Hey, we'll give you two grand." Well, there's a lot of people out there. I know Jay Billis had a tweet saying that that would have come out to, for someone like Kemba Walker of UConn, it would have come out to about $48 a game extra, this $2,000. You could look at it and say, hey, it's a start. At least we saw some quick change instituted here because the NCAA doesn't usually move very swiftly. Or you could look at it like Jay Billis did and say, you know what? It's a drop in the bucket because of the fact that we're looking at a multi-billion dollar industry and you're offering these kids $2,000 more. Rand, are you still saying if there's that $3,200 divide, are they still $1,200 short after giving the $2,000? Yes. Now, this is an average, right? So some schools, they're going to be above. But what the NCAA set up was they said you can get up to $2,000 or the full cost of attendance. So say the full cost of attendance is only $500 more than they've been giving their student athletes uh, prior to this point, then you don't get to give your student athletes $2,000. You get to give them that $500 that makes up that shortfall, right? So all you're doing is giving them the absolute least amount possible at this point. The problem is, is for all of those schools that are above that number. So say a kid is $3,000 in the hole, and the school says, hey, we know you're operating in a $3,000 deficit, so we're going to give you $2,000. And here's the kicker. It's not compulsory, meaning these schools don't have to do this. The NCAA strongly urged the conferences to adopt these practices. You know, here's, here's my primary issue. Um, I would agree with both what Bill has said uh, and where we're at. Yes, it's a good start, but I, in, in terms of you saying that they, they acted quickly, I've heard a lot of people say that. I'm not so sure that they did. I am of the mindset that they absolutely knew that at some of these schools, these kids were operating in a shortfall for years. Why? Because they're the ones that run all the numbers. They're the ones who deal with all the money. So to say that they did not know at, you know, uh, whatever university you want to use, University X, that the kids were operating in a $4,000 shortfall is, if that's true, then they're even worse at business than, than I had. Uh, thought previously. But the point is, when a kid is operating at a shortfall, he's uh, going out there and giving his blood, sweat, and tears to the university and the school. And yes, you are giving him an education in return, but the bargain for exchange is, we will give you a full ride. Then you need to give that kid a full ride at the, at the, at the bare minimum. So to say after all this time, hey, we know that we haven't been paying you guys what you need for years and years and years, but now that it's been brought to light, we're going to give you two-thirds of what you actually need, give us a pat on the back. We're doing a great job. That's not enough for me. Uh, you know, the significant movement would be getting them to the actual cost of attendance as opposed to somewhere close to it. We're joined by Rand Gatlin of Yahoo Sports. So, Rand, a lot of people ask me, okay, if a student-athlete gets a scholarship, what exactly does that cover? You say full cost of attendance. What's covered there? So they cover, uh, theoretically, they cover living expenses, housing, uh, that would cover utilities, all your basic costs of living, right? They factor food. in uh, food. They factor in food, so they give you the ability to, and this is through a uh, series of, you know, they've got Perkins loans and all kinds of things that factor in and then other grant-based aid. But the, the bottom line is you're supposed to be able to school, or go to school, rather, without ever coming out of your pocket with a single dollar for your baseline expenses. Now, if you want to go out and have a fancy dinner and pay $80 a plate, your scholarship's not going to cover that. 
But if you want to go out and get fast food like every other college kid, theoretically, it's supposed to cover that. What about if you want to go to the movies or something on the weekend? Theoretically, there's supposed to be some entertainment considerations in there, but I don't think they're necessarily reflective of the times. Um, and certainly it is, if you think about it like this, I, I often bring this up, the Reggie Bush situation. He's going to USC, which is euphemistically referred to as the University of Spoiled Children. You've got kids driving around in M3s, uh, Mercedes Benzes, you name it, and the kids forced to drive around campus in a beat-up pickup truck while 10,000 of the 20,000 students on campus are wearing number five jerseys that they bought for $60. It's ludicrous. It doesn't make any sense. So, you know, you, you, you're making these kids, these student-athletes, operate with less capital than a, a large percentage of the folks that they go to school with when they're the biggest personas on campus. So the rule book for the NCAA, I read something last week. It said most of the rule book hasn't been updated in 40 years. Is that true? You know, I don't know the exact uh, uh, dates, but I, but I have also heard something similar. And, and frankly, uh, Kevin Lemon uh, of the NCAA vice president of reinstatement, um, said that uh, that he is interested in streamlining the the book, and he, he mentioned one passage where there's a ten pages on a single rule, and he wants to cut it down to four. Um, so you know it's very clear. Look, it's antiquated, uh, it's convoluted, it's difficult to interpret. You can you can look at the Cam Newton situation and say that went against every principle the NCAA claims uh, to hold near and dear, and yet the kid went on and won a national championship despite the fact that his dad admitted that he tried to sell his kid to a university. So you know you look at that and you just say to yourself something's wrong. Clearly there's something wrong with that book, and uh, I can't imagine that they've updated it to be reflective for the times, considering how many loopholes we've seen and how many times we've heard that word used with various NCAA issues throughout the year. I'm giving you three to five people that you can sit down with in a room for a week and you can change the rule book. Who are you picking? Oh, man, Ah, that's a great question. Um, You know what? I'm not sure that I would choose the people so much is I would uh, try and build a consensus around uh, putting it on some kind of uh, stack of other rule books and setting them uh, to fire. I'd, I'd want to pour kerosene all over them and light them and start from scratch. The bottom line is that, you know, the, the regulations they have in place, you can use a principle-based approach. From a policy standpoint, there are some things that they stand for that I think are good. Uh, again, theoretically, for instance, protecting student-athletes from being uh, exploited by, you know, interested parties. Uh, but the problem is that everybody says this now at, at this time, a lot of folks, that the NCAA is, in fact, the largest exploiter of these, of these young student-athletes because of things like this cost of attendance issue. So, you know, I don't know that there's anybody that I really trust within the organization at this point, or at least nobody that I'm aware of, that I would say, hey, you know, let's get together and fix this rule book. I would, I would rather, you know, keep one copy of it like they did in, uh, I don't know if you guys have seen the movie, but um, uh, the movie with Denzel Washington where he's uh, running through the, the Badlands and he had one copy of the Bible. Yeah, I'd like to see it operate like that, essentially. <laughs> one NCAA rule book, and that'll act as your guide to the principles, but there should be no remnants of any NCAA rules ever when you start from scratch because the thing's just so flawed. I think you've got to kind of uh, go back to the, uh, the drawing board. Rand, what other changes came out of that meeting last week with the board of directors? They also had some significant uh, changes in relation to the APR, but to be honest, I didn't dig into those very directly. The APR essentially is a metric by which they judge academic 
performance. That is also an interesting issue to me. While I haven't delved into the details of the or what, what they came up with with the board of directors, it's one of those things where you know when I went to school, uh, it was very clear that there were certain classes: rocks for jocks, geology. There were also um, uh, you had uh, astrology and uh, astronomy, rather, and you know all these classes are kind of a joke. And it was very well known among the student athlete community: hey, these are the classes you take. To get by now. To be fair, regular students did so as well. But the difference is, is that the student athletes had a dedicated um, academic center, an academic uh, support team uh, uh, that was supposed to help them succeed, basically in their, in their educational endeavors. Well, the problem is when we were in geology and geometry, uh, uh, astro- astronomy, etc., is that most of the kids, a lot of the football players, were cheating. So, you know, when you, when you think about that, the, the academic advisors are saying, well, you know, all these kids are getting Bs. That's a good thing. We're doing our job because they're getting good grades. But we know that they're not actually getting an education. They're simply being put into classes where it's easy to cheat or it's easy to pass or whatever. You can game the system. So, you know, I think you have to address some more systemic issues. I think it's a step in the right direction. Obviously, we want to emphasize academics, but I, I, I am not one to just buy into numbers and figures without looking at kind of how the, the operation is actually uh, working. Well, the thing that's interesting is we all know UConn won the national championship in basketball this past year. With these new APR standards, UConn wouldn't have qualified for the NCAA tournament this past year. So that tells me a little bit of the story. Rand Gatlin, Yahoo Sports. Thanks for making the time, and uh, we'll catch up again with you soon. How can people follow you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at Rand underscore Getlin, and as always, sir, it's awesome joining you. Love to talk to you all the time. Thanks, Rand. Take care. We'll talk to you soon. Have a good one. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR after this. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. The NBA lockout continues. And to discuss this in more detail is my friend Sam Amick of SI.com and NBAconfidential.com. Sam, how are you? 
Doing great, Brian. Thanks for having me. So you guys were the first to obtain the Billy Hunter letter yesterday. I found the letter interesting on many levels, but the one thing I kind of took away at the end of the letter is the players' union doesn't seem like they're going to back down or give in to owner demands anytime soon. Did you get that same takeaway? I did, for sure. Just in the name of journalistic uh, credibility, Mark Stein, I think, had the letter first, um, but I appreciate it. They, I, I did think that, uh, you know, the message was clear. These guys don't sound like they're ready to back off. And, and to be honest, from talking to people on the union side yesterday, um, you know, a lot of people, myself included, have been calling. I think you and I talked about this before, calling for them to, to take it to a vote. There is no discussion of that happening anytime soon. Um, you know, and, and so I, I think uh, they're still hunkered in. They're going to meet tomorrow in New York with the executive committee, the players are, to kind of plot the next move. But you're right. It didn't. Uh, sorry about that. It didn't seem, you know, like they're uh, they're about to bend here. What could the next move be for the players? I've said all along, I don't really see where their leverage is. What's their next move? Well, I mean, I'm guessing here, but you know, I I wouldn't be shocked if maybe they come off that 52.5 percent BRI mark uh, and and maybe throw a, a tiny tiny olive branch out there to get the discussions going again. Um, you know, and, and getting an accurate read on that means you've got to know exactly where things are at internally as far as some of the, uh, you know, the strife that we've been hearing and reading about is, you know, Billy Hunter and Derek Fisher and how much uh, are they on the same page. And so that would be one strategy is, you know, they, they bend a little more on the BRI. Uh, the other one, the more extreme one would be if the hardliners get their way and, and they come up with a way to, uh, to come out and say, you know, we're not bending anymore. We're going to start you know, getting more creative and organized with these games that we're creating on our own and doing our, you know, doing our own thing for a while. So I'm not sure which way they're going to go right now. I thought it was interesting in Billy Hunter's letter, he talks about this isn't really a 50-50 split because he talks about the $543 million that the owners took as an expense credit off the top last year. So he says this is really a 50-44 split after that $543 million of expense credits is taken off the top. Here's my question to you, Sam. I tweeted this out earlier. In the NFL negotiations, owners and players, the owners came into the negotiation saying, we want a million-dollar expense credit. By the end of the negotiations, that was completely off the table. The owners didn't get that. Is there any chance that the owners might say, okay, we'll take that $543 million expense credit out of the deal. We won't take an expense credit. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, like you said, the NFL did it, so maybe these guys do it. If I had to guess, I would say no. It seems like those are the parameters that they've been operating under for a while. Um, and it's to me on the PR front, it's surprising to see, you know, that Billy Hunter and those guys waited until November second, you know, November first, to make that point to their players. That's no kidding. A huge point, you know what I mean? And so that is what jumped out at me. Uh, I don't know if the owners would take, you know, that stipulation out. That's a whole lot of cash. And uh, if I had to guess, I would say no. And, and I think you're right. If they did, it probably gets the deal done. I just think, you know, the owners have said they're losing three hundred million dollars per year, it looks like the players have offered, what, 180 to $200 million a year to help close that gap and make up for some of those losses. The owners have to take some responsibility for running their business at some point, don't they? No, they do. And that's why this is such a tough situation. You, you can gauge it on what's fair, and then you can gauge it on what's reality. And you right. and I have gone back and forth on this, and that's just that's the, the reality of it, because what's fair, this is already fair, in my opinion. It's already more than fair what the players have given up. And, you know, if you go by fair, then the owners should 
call him up today, uh, you know, sign this deal and let's get a move on and have a season. Reality is they see a chance to get more concessions to, to not only have, you know, each team have the ability and the chance to be, you know, uh, have cost certainty and make money, but have, you know, almost a 100% guaranteed that they would be doing that. So, I mean, they they smell the blood in the water and, and they're still going for it. I mean, to me, and this is something I'm going to write on next is, you know, it's just a question of how much damage are they willing to do to the game. But, I mean, to answer that question is tough because it's tough to quantify how much damage, you know, is being done to the game. And that's the question at the heart of this thing is that they're probably not going to know the answer to that for a couple of months. We're joined by Sam Amick of SI.com and NBAconfidential.com. He's our NBA insider. I really think a deal has to be done in the next two weeks. We know games have been canceled by November 30th, but... The owners and David Stern have already said the offers are only going to get worse. And here's my fear, Sam, is if you don't have a deal done in the next two weeks, there's another round of games that gets canceled. And then the owners say, all right, now we're going to go to 47%, 45%, because we've got to make up for the loss of revenues from all the games that we're missing. I think the two sides become further and further apart if a deal's not done in two weeks. Yeah, I agree. And even though the union and the players you know, vehemently disagree with the premise that Stern throws out there that they all, you know, the offers have to get worse. Their, their answer to that is, you know, that you're arguing against yourself. If you tell the public that we lost $300 million last year, largely because of the players, why now are you, you know, are you, you know, playing your violin when you don't have to pay the players? Why are, why is it such a bad thing for you not to have a season? And why do the offers have to get worse? Really, that doesn't matter. The fact is, I think that you're right. You know, eventually the offers will get worse, and that will, you know, lessen the chances that this thing gets done here. Um, what's interesting to me, too, Brian, is that you're already seeing some uh, some cracks in the armor here on the player's side, and I think I'm pretty, you know, safe in saying that, you know, the players I really do not think are prepared to lose the entire season. I just don't think they are. You know, Glenn Davis today tweeted, uh, of the Celtics tweeted, you know, that 51%, you know, sounds good to me, let's get back on the court, something like that. And, you know, that's the thing here. I mean, unless you are really willing to lose the entire season, then you've got to take whatever they give you in the next two weeks, and that's it. I think you're exactly right. As a matter of fact, I think if they had a vote of the over 400 players in the NBA today, most of them would say, take the deal on the table and and let's play ball. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, at first I understood where the union would say, but listen, it's our job to be the stewards for these guys and educate them and they don't necessarily know all the issues in and out, and there's truth in that. But okay, you've been educating them a lot, even more so recently, and and now you're cutting into games. And and I think you're right. If it went to a vote, I think we'd be playing right now. And I don't know where that line is, but it, to me, it's a little sketchy when you just when you're afraid of a vote and you and you kind of run from the idea of actually you know accurately representing the people you represent. Um, but that's where it's at. I mean, I was told unequivocally yesterday that you know a vote is not coming. Um, you know, I, but right now the thing is it's, it's coming apart at the seams on the union side a little bit. You've got some infighting, you've got players being more vocal, uh, and I think that's only going to get worse. How real is that infighting, especially between Billy Hunter and Derek Fisher? They have vehemently denied it. Derek Fisher has threatened legal action against Jason Whitlock of Fox Sports. Is it real? Is it a PR ploy by the NBA to try and make it look like there's chinks in the armor with the NBA players? Um, I don't think it's – I'm not, you know, prescribing to what the narrative that's out there that it's just Billy Hunter and Derek Fisher are completely going opposite directions. Um, in fact, 
it, it, to me, there's a PR battle going on. There's a, a new, uh, and Adrian Wojnarowski of Yahoo has written about this guy a couple times, but David Cummings is a guy who was recently added. He's a former sports writer from ESPN and, and a former editor. He got added to the labor, uh, the union mix uh, recently on the PR front, and he's a Billy Hunter guy. And internally, there's, you know, that's kind of where the finger is getting pointed, that when he got added to the mix, all of a sudden these anti-Derek Fisher stories started coming out. Now, you know, from what I've been told, that's, you know, he's completely claiming innocence on it, and I don't know the truth there. But I think in reality, you probably have more, the divide is probably more on the, within the PR ranks uh, on the union than it is between Derek and Billy. But, you know, those things, those two camps represent those individuals. So uh, I don't think it's as dramatic as it's been um, portrayed, but I think there is a lot of stuff like that going on. Final point, David Stern doesn't lose very often. As a matter of fact, I can't think of any time that he's ever really lost except for on the uh, failed game ball situation, which uh, didn't work out very well for him. The owners seem to have a lot of resolve here. They're ready to lose the entire season. Doesn't this come down to when the players are ready to accept the owner's proposal? It does. It does. Although, you know, to, you know, I, it, is, it isn't that simple. I mean, they want to see what else they can get, and I understand that because, honestly, I was calling for them to wave the white flag two months ago, and that's easy to write, and I, and I, you know, I know why I wrote what I wrote, but if they had done that at that time, you know, they would have a lesser deal than they have right now. You know, so they have had some gains in this process, and they are pushing this thing, you know, to not the 11th hour, but 11.59, trying to get the best deal they can get, uh, knowing full well that they're on thin ice and it's dangerous territory and they have to be careful. They do not want to lose an entire season. Um, I just don't know where that threshold is. I mean, the danger, though, comes in where if you have all this dysfunction taking place when you get to 11.50, 11.55, then all of a sudden you run the risk of, of having uh, you know a deal not get closed and have this thing, like you said earlier, get much, much worse. Well, it's a high-priced game of chicken, and we'll see who blinks first. Sam Amick from SI.com, NBAconfidential.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Sam underscore Amick, A-M-I-C-K. Sam, always appreciate your perspective and your time. Have a great day, and we'll talk to you soon. You too. Thanks, friend. Stay in the know at SportsBusinessRadio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more. SBR will be right back. All the people in this world, let's come together. It's the age of new media and citizen journalism. Everyone with a smartphone and a flip cam is a reporter and everything is on the record. I'm Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, and I team with former Nike executive Lee Weinstein to form media training company Everything is on the Record. With a combined 40 years of experience dealing with the media and helping our clients craft authentic messages, we'll help you navigate the tricky media landscape that exists today. Everything is on the record has provided media training to pro and college athletes, coaches and executives, as well as to government leaders and CEOs. We'll teach you how to break through the clutter with your messages and we'll also assist you when you find yourself in crises. It's time for an innovative new approach to media training that best fits the world we live in today. For more information about Everything is on the Record, visit us online at everythingisontherecord.com. Contact us today to learn more about our innovative approach to media training and how we can meet your specific needs. 
Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. This is Sports Business Radio. Well, when I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I partner with Lee Weinstein on a media training company. It's called Everything Is On The Record. You can go to everythingisontherecord.com to learn more about us. But we talk to teams about keeping their dirty laundry internal. Don't air it through the media. Here's an example this week of someone taking that to the next level. Listen to New England Patriots head coach Bill Belichick stonewall the media here. Coach, on, on Edelman, uh, do you have any comment at all on, on his arrest and what is his future with the team as a result of that? I don't, I don't have any comment. I think his uh, representatives made their comment. I don't have anything to add to it. Considering that um, Gronkowski posed for a picture with a foreign star, you've got another young player out late. Uh, at a nightclub getting arrested. Is there a discipline issue on this team? Yeah, I don't have anything to add to that. Nothing at all. That's correct. So have you talked to Julian? Have you had any conversation with Julian? Or yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. I don't have any comment on it. Those conversations are private between myself and the player, like all the other ones we have. You must be disappointed in him. Right now, getting ready for the Giants. That's what our football team's here for, to get ready for the Giants. Big game on Sunday. Will he be playing in that game? We'll play the best players that we can for the game, like we always do. Won't be any different this week than any other week. Will the internal sanctions on, uh, I guess, either Gronkowski or Bellman uh, on this? We never publicly announce our internal team discipline. So we wouldn't change that policy. Do you have a system of team discipline in general? Of course. That's New England Patriots head coach Bill Belichick, who likes doing press conferences as much as most people like going to the dentist. Just doesn't like it at all. But, hey, he didn't air the dirty laundry through the media, so good for him. Great show this week. I want to thank Rand Gatlin of Yahoo Sports, Sam Amick of SportsIllustrated.com, our show staff, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Jared Melzer, Darren Peck. Ron Barr, James Harris, Doug Zanger, and Max Waterman. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just click on the iTunes icon on the front page of sportsbusinessradio.com to have our show podcast downloaded to your iTunes every week. We'd love it if you post a review of our podcast on iTunes. I'm on Twitter often. You can follow me there, at SB Radio. Follow executive producer Brian Griggs, who tweeted out some T-Bowing pics in the last week of us, if you haven't seen those. He's at bgrizzle22. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week right here on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bull Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thank Thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the 
the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. 